It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 606 on a Saturday morning, this is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful. Whatever you want to do, I will help you do it. Whatever you don't want to do, I'll give you an excuse for why you do not want to do it on a Saturday morning, Memorial Day weekend. If you have any projects that you want to consider doing, I'll get you a little bit further towards doing it with least amount of work. And if you want to argue with me about anything that I've ever said, <laughs> you want to say you are completely wrong about that, then give me a call as well. Our phone number, you heard it just now, 404-872-0750. I had the pleasure, once again, this is, gee, how many, the 10th, 12th? I can't remember how many years now, that sometime in the early part of the summer, late May, early June, I'll be either in my living room, laying on the sofa, or walking through my living room, and here, in my fireplace flew something going on in there something's happening inside my fireplace i hear this little sort of and then this sort of scratching around for a few minutes and as they go back out again what could be in my fireplace flu at this time of year what do you think if you said chimney swifts you are right chimney swift birds that i have in my chimney flu every year for the past easily 12 maybe 15 years I've heard them in there, and the early part of the summer is when they arrive. They scout out locations, and what chimney swifts want, they're a bird, of course, and so the, the, the place that they find their housing is important. And so the place that they want is something hollow, something inside a vertical shaft, not in a bird nest, a bird house, or anything like that. No, they like a vertical, empty shaft. And in that shaft, they have glue in their saliva somehow, and they take little twigs, and they glue on the side, the inside of your chimney, or the inside of a shaft, the, the twigs that make up their, their nest. It's a little bitty nest. It's barely as big as your fist, maybe a little bit smaller than your cupped hand. And so they do that in late May, early June. They lay their eggs. They sit on the eggs for about 20 days. And then by the mid to late part of June, I will know that the chimney swifts have hatched because when they hatch out, they hatch out with a hunger that will not be assuaged by anything other than mom and daddy coming down in the chimney to feed them. And they make noise, shrieking, yeah, 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 inside my chimney. And a lot of people, having heard this maybe the first time or maybe they bought a house and it's an older house without a chimney cap over the top, and they hear this, they think, man, I got bats. There's bats in my chimney. What am I going to do about the bats in my chimney? It's not bats. It's chimney swift birds. And the birds are important, of course, for our environment because they eat lots and lots of bugs. They eat moths. They eat beetles. Here and there, they eat mosquitoes, although the mosquito is not nearly what they would really like to have. They want something with a little more meat on their bones. And so they eat big, big things, big insects, flying insects, moths and beetles mostly. In the evening, they fly around, and oh, they're so graceful, just so graceful as they fly around the chimney. And then all of a sudden, five, ten of them as they fly around will suddenly say, let's all go to home tonight. And they all, and down into my chimney they go, and the rest of the night they're quiet in there. 
Um, but they have come every year, like I say, for many years into my chimney. And I purposely do not put a chimney cap on because I don't want to disturb them. I don't use my fireplace, but frankly, there's not a lot of danger from uh, having a fire in your fireplace because the nests are so small. And although they make a lot of noise, there's probably only one or two nests in the chimney. One of the things that I've heard earlier this year is that the Atlanta Audubon Society and Piedmont Park have gone together to build a chimney swift chimney, a housing unit for chimney swifts in the park, which I think is wonderful. It's easy to do. They just stack a bunch of, well, it's not that easy to do, but they stack a bunch of cinder blocks on top of each other to make a tall chimney. It has opening at the bottom, so it has a draft coming up to the middle of it. The uh, inside, of course, is very rough because chimney swifts, as a bird, can't can't stand on things. They have to cling to the sides of things. They have special sort of claws on their on their toenails, and it allows them to stand or cling, I guess, to the inside of the chimney. And inside the chimney, they're able to cling there and uh, feed the babies and go back and forth. And by the end of ooh, the end of July, I guess, all of a sudden, I'll notice one day there's not as much noise coming from my chimney. And by the end of end of July, certainly, there'll be no noise at all. The chimney swifts will be up, they're gone, they're out barging, they just don't come back to my chimney to make any noise anymore, and then they go and migrate down to South America for the rest of the wintertime. So if you have a cheeping and a beeping and a chirping in your chimney this time of year, it's not bats. It is our friend, the chimney swift. 404 872 0750 gets you in to talk about chimney swifts or anything else you want to talk about. First in line, our friend down in Griffin, Georgia, our friend Nicole. Good morning, Nicole. Mr. Reeves. Mr. Nicole, how are you? Fine, fine. Did you start to water your stuff? Yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I've been watering my stuff, Nicole. It is dry. It is dry now. Big time. Yeah. I went and I had some peppers that needed to be watered. My squash was wilting a little bit. Uh, the tomatoes in the raised bed were looking like they needed a little bit of water. I watered them all yesterday. Then you can really realize what kind of soil, if you have a good soil. Uh, soil uh, yeah, it, it holds the moisture. You know, good soil holds moisture for an appropriate amount of time and then dries out gradually. Real sandy soil doesn't hold it at all. Just water goes right through it. And real clayey soil, the roots can't spread very easily in clay, and the clay holds a lot of moisture that maybe the roots don't want to have, and so clay soils end up being bad for the plants because even though they hold the moisture, they also cause the roots to have root problems, rock problems. It is really hard the first year I was here to deal with this clay. And, boy, I just had to dig up and dig up and dig up and realize <laughs> that clay is like a brick. Yeah, and so you add organic matter to it, and you put lots of mulch on top. And over the years, the clay will turn into regular good loamy soil, but it takes a while to get the organic matter mixed in. And, of course, the mulch on top gets mixed in by worms and bugs and things like that. So it's, you don't get perfect soil immediately. Even bagged topsoil many times, is, uh, it takes a little while before it really becomes productive, I guess, for the garden. That's why South Georgia is very good because uh, there's a lot of sand. Yeah, right. It, it, it watermelons. Oh, my gosh, what perfect conditions can you have for watermelons in South Georgia? They love being in a place that holds water for just a little while and then drains away quickly. And so Cordelia, the area around there, watermelons everywhere because that's just perfect soil for watermelons. It's peach time in the Fort Valley right How now. How do you know it's peach time in Fort Valley? 
Uh, because I go by there, and there's a big sign alongside the road. And it's time. <laughs> fresh Georgia peaches here, right here. Come to our little, little hut by the side of the road and buy some fresh Georgia peaches. Do, do you are you able to stop Nicole while you're driving your truck, or do you have to pass on by? Oh, I have to pass by. If I had a, a smaller truck, or yeah. if I had a car, I could go in those small roads, you know. But it break my heart because they don't have. A, in the old days, they had to stand in the truck, so that's what, you know, farmer was making the mo- most money, Yeah, you know? sure. Sure, the little stands by the side of the road, they do that. Now they have pretty big packing houses down there. Lane Farms, of course, has a great big packing house in South Georgia where they, you know, collect peaches from the farmers and pack them and ship them to other places in the country. But fresh Georgia peaches, yeah, you can get them now in the grocery stores in Atlanta, but when you get them right off a truck in South Georgia where the guy who grew that peach is handing it to you, and a little bag of it, a little peck basket of it. Man, that is great stuff. And uh, take a chance to uh, thank him for all he does. Yeah, sure. Uh, it is not easy. As, as gardeners in Atlanta know, it is not easy to get a good, healthy, good-looking crop of peaches. You have to care for them, observe them all the time, make sure that all the critters that love peaches are not <laughs> eating them before you get to them. So uh, it's hard to, to grow peaches. Uh, would sugarcane... Uh, Grow in the Georgia or Florida? Ah, uh-huh, Nicole, what a good question. Yes, Florida, sure. They got lots of sugarcane down around the around the uh, swamps, around uh, Miami and South Florida down there. My father tried to grow sugarcane in Fayette County, not far from you. And I think he had some little straggly shoots that came up from his sugarcane, but it was not a success. He did not have a lot of juice from his sugarcane crop that year. So uh, sugarcane needs a lot of moisture, water that yeah, rises yeah, up. Yeah. And sunshine, 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 because sunshine, you know, is what makes carbohydrates. Carbohydrates make sugar. Sugar is what makes it sweet. So you got to have a lot of sun, a lot of water. Everything together makes the sap in sugarcane sweet that you can mash it out and make uh, sugar from it. Because there's a lot of demand. I used to go to Mississippi, go underneath the big bridge, and yeah. I see feel and feel of sugar cane. Sure. It's, and that's another crop that's hard, not necessarily to grow. It's hard to harvest sugar cane. You have to cut it all down. And it's not a small, short little thing like wheat. Sugar cane, like you, as you know, is like 10 or 12 feet tall. You've got to get in there with machinery or, God forbid, hard work laborers to go in and chop it down, load it on the wagons, take it into the mill mash it real good to get the sugar the sweet sap out of it and then uh, transport the sap to the to the place that makes the sugar. It would be interesting to go and see uh, the harvest and the process, isn't it? Yeah, as long as you don't have to do it. <laughs> it's one of those things. Even harvesting peaches, Nicole, if you have ever done a, you know, going into peach trees and harvested peaches, you know that the fuzz on a peach will stick to your skin. It'll be sticky. The juice sometimes gets on your fingers, gets all over your clothes, and it's sticky and itchy and all that kind of stuff. So it's not even, it's not hard. It is hard, I should say, to grow peaches, and it's hard to harvest the darn things, too, just because they're so sticky and icky. Oh, Mr. Reeve, imagine the cotton picking by hand. Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> cotton by hand, picking peaches by hand, all that stuff. Thank God for machinery. Thank God for machines and tractors and harvesters. They can do things that we used to not ever. I did. I harvested peaches when I was a kid. I harvested um, my dad's sugarcane. And, and, man, I don't want to do that ever, ever again. And the men that invent those machines. Yeah, right. The men that invent them, thank God for them, too. It's a Memorial Day this weekend, of course, to thank our soldiers who have 
taking care of us and protecting us from other enemies, but we also want to thank sometimes the farmers and the people who invented the harvesting machines so they keep us fed. Nicole, i got to go, but it's great to talk to you. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. We'll see you soon, 404-872-0750 at 617, and we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Jim, Jiminy, Jim, Jiminy, Jim, Jim, Cherie. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Jim, Jiminy, Jim, Jiminy, Jim, Jim, Cherie. Good luck, we're above when I shake hands with you. Oh, blow me a kiss. He doesn't mention anything about Jiminy Swift at all. Well, a quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing today and tomorrow. Same forecast, sunny and hot today. Sunny and hot tomorrow. Highs in the mid-90s, lows in the low 70s. It has not been this hot on May 25th since 1960. Coming up in the next half hour, Charlie down in Florida wants to clarify his pineapple planting we talked about last year. Daryl in Snellville has scale and gall on his shrubs. And Paul in Dunwoody has tomatoes that he wants to talk about. The tomatoes are growing on farms. J.D. in College Park joins us. Hey, J.D., good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you, sir? I'm well, sir. How can I help? Hey, I just want to call and thank you, Walter. By, you know, people got to understand that you are, uh, you are the greatest garden expert in the <laughs> whole world. J.D., stop it. I, I mean it, man. Much. I'm serious. Last week, Walter, I felt so bad. I called you last week. Remember? Yeah, right. I told you I was going out in the garden right away and do what you told me. Started stomping those tomatoes, exactly. those little blooms, you know? Yep. And, uh, Walter, can you believe here it is one week later, and I have plum-sized tomatoes all over the place out there. Hey, J.D., that was me. I did that for you. I just made sure you, your you tomatoes. Told <laughs> you told me. I have lots of tomatoes, I just want to ask you, how often do I need to uh, pump those tomatoes like that? When it's really hot, and, you know, it's getting into the <clears throat> mid-90s right now, the pollen on tomatoes gets real sticky when it's hot. When it's hot and humid, it's real right. sticky, and so you thump more often then than you do when it's a little bit cooler. So I would say right. when it's above 90 degrees during the middle of the afternoon, thump, try to thump twice a day. And when it's lower oh, really? than 90, once so, a day well, or I once every day. I didn't do day. bad at all when, when I thumped them every, each, each, every day last week. <laughs> no, you did fine. You did, evidently, you did great. Great. All right. I just want to call and thank you so much. I really appreciate you, man. It's my great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for calling, J.D. All right. Have a good one. We'll see you soon. Four oh. <clears throat> Clear my throat there. 404-872-0750. Charlie down in Florida. Hey, Charlie, good morning. Yeah, I talked to you last week, but I didn't ask you, can I cut those nodules off the plant and plant it now, or do I need to wait till the pineapple has been cut off the pineapple? You know those little little pups you're talking about at the bottom of your pineapple plant? Yeah, they're, well, they're, they're all over it, really. They're yeah. just everywhere on it. Yeah, you can cut them off. It, it would be nice, Charlie, if they start making little white roots. They'll have a little tiny white root about a quarter inch, half an inch long. And, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, if you'll cut that off when it gets the roots gets about that long, you can plant those. Okay, and the air root, the last time I did it, I was a real success, but I, I bought some of that Spanish moss that I now have more Spanish moss than <laughs> It's green. Is that going to matter? Well, the Spanish moss is not what you use for air layering. You use sphagnum moss. So I said, yes, yeah, I know that. Sphagnum and Spanish 
or different words. And so sphagnum moss is what you use for air layering. Spanish moss, I guess, would work, but I've never tried it. I don't want to have a gardenia with a beard on it. <laughs> <laughs> Try to see, Charlie. Let me know if sphagnum moss and Spanish moss are equally effective at air layering. I'd love to know. You know I will. All right. Thank you, Charlie. We'll see you soon, my friend. 404 Clear his throat again. 404 We'll be back with a clearer voice after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. This is Chris Whitaker from Beaufort, Georgia. On this Memorial Day weekend... I'm remembering Sergeant First Class David Sally killed in action February 14th of 2005 from Columbus, Georgia. Rest in peace. Don't forget the WSB listeners are leaving personal memorials this Memorial Day for family members who served. You can use the open mic feature on the WSB radio app to leave your memory if you have one of a family member who has served in the military on Memorial Day weekend. Daryl in Snellville joins us. Daryl, good morning. Hey, Daryl, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm doing okay. What's going on? Well, I have a uh, problem that has emerged with scaling on the front hedges on the front of the house. What do you mean my scaling? What does that mean? Well, the scaling is a, it's like a black covering on the, um, on the stems yeah. of the um, plant and on the base of the plant. And there's also a white crystal-like covering on top of the black scale. And I took it in, I cut a portion of it off that uh, it was also had like white powder on the leaves of the, uh, of the hedge itself. And so I cut a portion of it out and I took it to a local gardening store and the young lady put it under a microscope and it showed, uh, it looked like pieces of ice. On the, uh, do, on you, the do you know deck. what shrub you have, Daryl? Do you know what shrub you're looking I at? I do not, sir. I really do not. I was asked that question by the lady that answered the phone, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that I don't know what type of um, plant that it is, but it's, they're beautiful, and they're about uh, five feet high up off the ground. Right. And they have a dark green uh about a two-inch leaf that grows off of the uh, stems. And they're very, very beautiful and very, very full and lush. But on one side of the house, I had one just turned. It just died. A portion of it just died. to cut it out. Daryl, let, let me interrupt you, Daryl, because I think I know what you have, even, even not knowing initially what shrub you have. When you describe the black stuff on the stem and, and leaves— 
And he said it had a white powdery stuff on the leaves too. Yeah. And that sounds just like euonymus scale on euonymus shrubs and euonymus powdery mildew on euonymus shrubs because in both cases, powdery mildew and scale make a enormous mess basically on the shrub and they yeah. up and died. Parts of the shrub will up and die on you. So well, do me I a favor, Daryl. There's these pieces of, it, it, it looks like a tumor uh, that has grown on. And you may also like, have azalea leaf gall on there too. Not on the euonymus, but you could might have an azalea in there too. Tell you what, Daryl, let me, because I'm not sure exactly which shrub you have, here's what I want you to do. Number one, go online and just look for pictures of euonymus, E-U-O-N-Y-M-U-S, euonymus shrubs. And see if you have euonymus shrubs, and then look for <clears throat> for uh, pictures of the euonymus scale and euonymus uh, powdery mildew, and you hopefully will see that. And this is, if you look on my website, walterreeves.com, as a matter of fact, you'll see some uh, ideas on how to control it for the azalea for the galls on the leaves of the azalea. All you do there is pick them off, pick them off, throw them away. That's all you have to do. So, Daryl, that's what I would do. Find out if you have euonymus scale, euonymus powdery mildew, and leaf gall, I think, on your azalea. Paul joins us from Dunwoody. Hey, Paul, good morning. Good morning. I want to uh, ask you a question about tomatoes, sure. but first I want to introduce myself. Uh, I work with Farm Aid with Willie Nelson. Oh, yeah. And we did uh, we we uh, fund uh, grassroots groups and uh, fund seed money in 44 states. We helped in the uh, hurricane that hit Southwest Georgia with the pecan trees, so and I was I was wondering, could you tell me uh, what happens to the tomatoes in Georgia that are hand picked, and where do they go after they're picked? It must be more than just grocery stores. There are a lot of tomatoes grown in Georgia, but Georgia is not a huge tomato <clears throat> tomato production state. Florida is, Mexico, of course, is, Texas is, and Actually, my impression is that most of the tomatoes in, in Georgia, Paul, do go to grocery stores and farmers <clears throat> farmers markets and the state farmers market in, in Forest Park. But I don't what think a, we export a lot of tomatoes from Florida, from Georgia. What about the uh, tomato paste and the uh, sauce and the uh, things that are used in... Uh, Pizzas and stuff. Yeah, is, is might, that it seems like there's a, process, a tomato processing plant somewhere down in in South Georgia. I'm not sure where now, <clears throat> but the my bet still is that, that the tomatoes stay pretty local around here. What I would do, Paul, if you really want the statistics on that, the Georgia um, Agriculture Department, ask them what they think about it because <clears throat> I'm not an expert on tomatoes and where they're where they export to. Well, thank you very much. All right, good luck. Good, good work with your good job with your work too, Paul. I appreciate that. We've got let's see, David is out in Tucker. Hey, David. Good morning. Good morning. Could you turn the thermostat down on the planet, please? Oh man, it's hot. It's, what is it, 70, 74 degrees outside right now, David? Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Nothing like a heat wave in Georgia <laughs> in May. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, well, uh, a friend of mine up in North Georgia has called my attention to a flowering herb. It's not nearly the the obscure little thing that most herbs are. Yeah. Called mullein. M U L L I E N. Fuzzy, fuzzy, and, fuzzy. Yeah. 
and no one in the garden centers and types and everything, well, they don't know what it is and they don't have it. It's a weed. <laughs> it's because it's a weed, David. Uh, but on the other hand, you can use it herbally. I was told there are concoctions you can make out <clears> of <throat> the flowers. And the leaves themselves, because they are so fuzzy, I understand you could use them as a bandage even. Wow. Yeah. Because uh, I understand some of the plants bloom uh, purple and some have a light and some have a deep pink. So I was a little intrigued no, about that. Mullen is yellow. Mullen is tall. It can be the stalk can be as much as five, six feet tall sometimes. And but the flowers are—I've never seen one pink, purple, or anything other than yellow. Okay, I'll have to get back to my friend because uh, they did have some yellow. But that that seemed to be the one that was doing the yeah. best. But yeah. maybe she's got them. She's lumping them all together, and they're actually two different kinds of plants. Yeah, I have a little neighbor down the street, Noah, and she came to my house uh, a week or so ago now, and I have a mullein plant in my backyard, David, that I just let grow because it's so fun to show it to kids. And I picked a leaf off of it and rubbed it on. On Noah's cheek, I said, what does it feel like? She said, like a sheep. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like a sheep. It's soft. It's fuzzy. It's nice. I think it's also used uh, in uh, baths as a calming agent. You, know, you crush a few leaves and uh, put that in a nice warm bath. Uh, you let me know about that, David. <laughs> you finish with your bath. <laughs> let me know. Okay, we'll do. All right. See you soon, David. I want to know about that mullet in the bathtub with you. Be, mm, all right. Latanya. Hey, Latanya down in Jonesboro. What you doing? Good morning. Good Trying morning. to get to work here. Um, got a quick question. I decided sure. to do a pot garden in my um, on my patio. Anyway, my green beans have some little brown spots, but they seem to be in the middle of the leaves. Yeah. Are there a and lot of so, spots or just one or two? How much How much are we talking is affected? We're talking about three or four, and it's only on like three or four leaves. Mm. So, one of the things you that I always worry about with pot gardenings or, you know, deck, patio gardens and containers is that you have to be real careful, not ever let them dry out. So because drying out stresses the whole plant and makes the leaves more susceptible to diseases than they would be otherwise if they were in the ground where, it didn't, where they didn't dry out so quickly. So make sure they don't dry out the tiny. That's the first thing to always be, be, aware, <clears throat> be aware of. Okay. Beyond okay. that, uh, unless you tell me you've got, you know, all the leaves are covered in brown and fall off the plant, there's not a no, great solution not- for it other than avoid stress. Okay. No, they have. I don't have a problem with the, my tomatoes Good. or the green onions or the beets or even wow. the corn. I actually planted some sweet corn, so You're I don't have any me. problems. Or that's great. Yes, I did. And they, they, it's the sweet corn is actually doing really, really well. How tall is it now? Uh, it's only been a couple of weeks. They're about eight to ten inches tall. How many? How, how big is your container? Tell me more about the whole container thing, Latanya. Uh, the the containers, they're regular buckets. Uh-huh. Um, what I was going to do was put them in some bigger, you know, pot planters if they got bigger. Yeah, yeah. But they're in the regular, um, what would you call those things, the five-gallon five paint gallon, buckets? Yeah, five-gallon buckets. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I went and bought wow. some new ones and decided to try it. 
All right. Well, you've tried it, and you've found some success. And when you harvest your first uh, ear of sweet corn, your first tomato and things like that, then give me a call again. But, Latanya, again, the biggest thing to worry about with containers <clears throat> is their limited mm -hmm. amount of moisture that the soil can hold at one time. And so make sure you check them every day. Make sure that soil does not dry out. If it dries out, okay. you got problems. Okay, All I right. will make sure. All right. Thank you so much. Let I enjoy listening to your really, I'd really be curious as what happens with that. By the way, in the last half hour, the let's see, the second caller said, I think he was thanking me. JD, JD was thanking me for telling him about thumping a plant, and somebody called during the break and said, what are they thumping? Tomatoes. JD, I told him last week, if he thumped his tomatoes, he'd get better pollination. And he called a report that he did get better pollination and his tomatoes were growing like gangbusters. So if you have tomatoes in hot weather, thump them, just a little light thump or hit with a stick or a pencil just to move the pollen around when it gets hot and sticky. It's 647 at News Talk WSB, and we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. heat wave, a tropical heat wave. The temperature's rising, it isn't surprising, she certainly can, can, can. Started the heat wave by letting her seat wave. Well, pretty much that is the weather forecast for the weekend. A quick weather forecast brought to you by Finley Roofing. Same forecast today and tomorrow. Sunny, hot, sunny, hot. High in the mid-90s, low in the low 70s. Remember 1960? That's for the last time it was this hot in May. Your full weekend forecast because of in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Phyllis is in Hampton, Georgia and joins us. Hey, Phyllis, good morning. Hey, Walter. Happy Memorial Day well, to you and your you. family. I have two quick questions, and I'll give you both of them at once. I have ivy crawling up, question number one. Mm. I have ivy crawling up on my very health, healthy, straight tall trees mm -hmm. in my backyard. Okay. If this is going to be a problem, you know, what can I do? What type of treatment? Is there a spray that I can use for the ivy? I'm going to let you advise me on that in just a second. No, and my no, no, second no, no. Let, me, let me do one at a time because I'll forget the first one. Okay. By the time I, the second one. I, un so, I understand. I'm the same way. Senior moments. So Thank basically, <laughs> ivy growing up trees, the jury is still out as to how much actual physical damage the ivy does to the tree. It's not a parasite. We know that. Right. We think that it does sometimes overload trees in wind storms and ice storms and stuff like that. But frankly, my objection to ivy growing up trees is simply that it's ugly. I don't like green stuff growing over the bark of a tree because I think sometimes the bark of the tree is part of the beauty of the tree. So the treatment Agreed. for it is, is simple. Because you don't have to spray with anything. You simply have to cut the vine somewhere down close to the ground where you can reach. So get a pair of pruners or a little saw or something safe so it doesn't chop into the bark of the tree and just cut it. Cut the vine, maybe cut a section a foot long just so you make sure you got all the vine away. And once you've cut the vine, over the next three months or so, it'll turn very gradually from green to yellow, from yellow to brown. End of story. Cool. All right. Question number Wonderful. two. Question number two. I was listening to the tomato guy. Yeah. You know, Georgia is not a tomato state. Make it Florida. Make it Florida. The tomatoes I'm buying in the, the various, you know, major branded stores, 
uh, are so horrible. They don't taste well. Mm. They're tough. They're no good. Um, you know, thank goodness for, you know, the season when we can grow our own. But even if I'm growing my own, even if I'm buying tomato plants at the local greenhouse, are they going to taste any more flavorful? I miss flavorful tomatoes and what I I don't buy anymore. And it doesn't matter whether they come from out of the country, you know, in these major branded stores, you know, or, you know, are you shopping at farmers markets? They're horrible. Are you shopping at farmers markets? No, what I've been doing, am I allowed to mention this? Like, you know, Probably like, not really, but Kroger, the best place, I think, is to grow, is to purchase your tomatoes from farmer's markets. Most of the farmer's markets around the metro Atlanta area, certainly in Hampton, Henry County, and Fayetteville, Peachtree City down there. And in the big, you know, Henry County has a farmer's market there at the Henry County Extension Office and the fairgrounds and all that. But they are locally produced, and the tomatoes that I have gotten from them have been delicious. They've got some heirloom tomatoes one year that would just melt in your mouth delicious. They were so good. So I would say, Phyllis, go to the farmer's market where your local farmers are producing tomatoes in local, you know, two miles from the market maybe, and buy the tomatoes there. Don't buy them from grocery stores if you'd rather not, but get them from locally, and you'll, I think, notice the taste difference because, A, they haven't been shipped very far B, they were probably harvested just that morning or the day before, so there's not much deterioration in taste from from shipping. And get local tomatoes. That's exactly what I would do. And there are plenty of farmer's markets all over the state of Georgia, all over metro Atlanta, every county, states, every county or city. I mean, it seems to have a farmer's market every weekend or a Wednesday morning or something like that. You can call your local extension office and ask them what they know about the farmer's market locally, and they'll give you some details on how to find the local farmer's markets. I'm going home, and I'm not going home. I'm going over here and suck on my little candy for a minute. It's 6.57 and one half at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.